Welcome to the first episode of Critical Thinking, Critical Issues, where we will be discussing all things markets, emerging investable themes, and the opportunities these may bring for investors. I'm your host, Rupert Watson, Head of Asset Allocation for Mercer's International Ex-Pacific Region. This week, I'm joined by Susan McDermott, and we'll be discussing our views across a range of current topical issues. Susan, thank you for joining us today. Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your role at Mercer? Hi, Rupert, and thank you for having me on your first podcast. I'm truly honored. So as Rupert mentioned, I'm Mercer's Strategic Research Director for the U.S. and an investment consultant in the not-for-profit segment. So day-to-day, that means that I'm responsible for helping to guide the development of Mercer's intellectual capital, along with my global colleagues. So looking for interesting investment ideas and trends that could benefit portfolios. I also work directly with a number of clients, providing investment advice on everything from asset allocation to finding the most talented managers for their portfolios. Thank you, Susan. So perhaps we just start with the US economy. What do you think is going to happen over the next few quarters? So we expect the US to experience a strong GDP growth in 2021, uh, returning to pre-COVID levels by mid-year. The consensus is about 4.3% growth this year with strong growth continuing into 2022. Um, Growth is being fueled by the sheer amount of fiscal stimulus both last year and this year. Um, as or expected this year, and very low interest rates, as well as pent-up demand. So a significant portion of the stimulus checks last year went to pay down debt and into savings. So the consumer is in really good shape financially. And in the U.S., consumer spending accounts for about 70% of GDP growth. You know, when you think about the uh, lockdown restrictions um, as a as it relates to COVID, um, once those begin to ease, we anticipate consumer spending increasing more pretty significantly. Um, what happens longer term will depend on whether more money is distributed to those in need, or as Jan- Janet Yellen has proposed, that there is more investment in infrastructure and workforce training to improve productivity. This would contribute to stronger GDP growth over the longer term. And then when you combine that with the Fed's new focus on employment levels, we think all of this could also contribute to a bit more um, inflation. So in the intermediate term, averaging closer to about two and a half percent. Perfect. You mentioned the uh, the buildup and savings. And over here in the UK, we've got exactly the same phenomena. Uh, and uh, savings levels by households are at pretty high levels. Uh, and I agree that over here as well, whenever the lockdown eases, um, we're going to see a strong surge in consumer spending. I would say absolutely everybody, with one exception, absolutely everybody I know uh, wants to go out. They want to go to the pub, they want to go to the restaurants, they want to go to the theatre, to the cinema, they want to catch up with catch up with their friends. Uh, and in my case, I want to go to go on holiday. Um, so, Susan, a couple of questions. Uh, whether I'm allowed to go on holiday uh, will in part be a, def- uh, a function of the rollout of the vaccine. How do you see the vaccine rollout going in the US? And perhaps more importantly, uh, have you made any plans for this summer? <laughs> 
So the the vaccine rollout in the U.S. is not going nearly as well as it's gone in the U.K. Um, you know, in terms of doses administered, it's high, but in terms of the percentage of the population, it's not so good. And it it's varying state by state. We just really have not put, um, we don't have enough vaccine and we just have not put the infrastructure in place. Um, I think I read something like 10% of the population um, has received a, a, at least one dose. Um, so we're starting to make progress, hoping that it accelerates as we get a little bit more experience there. Um, I don't know, perhaps it's due to the fact that we don't have um you know, a government-controlled healthcare system. Perhaps that's one reason the UK has done be- better. Um, I don't know if you care to comment on that. In terms of vacations, um, nothing planned for this summer yet. Um, outside of um, spending some time in Michigan, I think I think I'm still a little bit leery about travel restrictions and and when everyone may get the vaccine. So, looking a little further out, maybe into the fall or early early 2022 for for travel. How about you? Okay. Well, me, I've already booked. I've already booked my summer holidays, um, which, uh, apart from anything else, keeps my keeps my spirits up. Uh, in terms of the vaccine rollout in the UK, does seem to be doing better than elsewhere. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily because of the structure of the healthcare system, because in the rest of Europe, uh, the rollout has been pretty awful, and they've got a very, uh, uh, you know, nationalised, obviously, um, healthcare system. Um, so I think in most things, the UK has done pretty badly in terms of the virus and protecting its citizens and its economy. Um, but in relation to the vaccine rollout, um, uh, the UK is certainly doing better. And quite a number of people I know, um, certainly all old people um, have had the vaccine um, and it start, people are sort of slightly younger types like myself um, are getting closer to being, to being vaccinated. Um, one of the other things very much on, on Mercer's agenda, of course, and the global uh, agenda is climate change. Um, and President Biden has said that his administration will make the battle against climate change a priority. What are you expecting to see? Yeah, so President Biden has certainly picked up the fight on on climate change here in just uh, uh, the first, uh, essentially the first month in in office. Um, when it comes to the environment, he's already rejoined the Paris Climate Accord uh, and revoked a permit for the. Keystone XL pipeline from Canada. There's been a 60-day freeze on new drilling permits and leasing on federal lands. There's a planned review on federal fuel economy and emission standards for vehicles, appliances, and construction. And I would say that industry knows um, more regulation is coming, and they also see consumer demand shifting. Just think about GM's uh, recent announcement that it will sell only zero emission vehicles by 2035. You know that 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 came unprompted. So um, I, I think we're going to be be making some pretty significant progress here in the in the U.S. over the next 10 years. Um, I know the the UK, Rupert, has been well ahead of the US on the fight against climate change. Anything that we can learn from from the UK or even from Europe more generally? Well, I think that the government support helps enormously. In terms of particularly in terms of electric vehicles, 
uh, Europe and indeed Japan is at a bit of an advantage because we uh, we have very high gasoline uh, uh, taxes. Uh, and as a result, uh, you save a huge amount of money by moving from uh, from petrol or diesel cars or gasoline cars to electric ones. So just on a personal basis, uh, we now have at home two electric cars, my wife and I. Um, and uh, in a normal year, we would typically spend about six thousand pounds or, or you know eight nine thousand dollars per annum on petrol. And in terms of electricity, we're paying less than a thousand dollars. And so it, there is a huge incentive, financial incentive, uh, to move to to electric cars. And I think government support, directly and indirectly, uh, will be an enormous, uh, an important, important part of it. I also think the switch to green energy more, more generally is going to be significant and positive at a macro level. The amount of money that will be spent to uh, roll out uh, green supply and, and everything that goes with it uh, is going to be enormous, which should boost the global economy. But it will also help the global economy um, because of the huge advances, the huge cost reductions we've seen uh, across green energy. So over the last uh, decade up until about now, People have generally uh, gone green or businesses have gone green because they've done it because they think it's good for, for the environment, because they care about the environment. Uh, and they've generally not done it because it saved them money. Uh, with costs coming down across the board in relation to solar power and electric power and all sorts of different things, um, I think that people will increasingly be shifting because it is a way to save money. And as an economy and society, we can look forward to several decades of declining real energy prices, uh, which is which is which is great news. Um, I'm not sure if this goes into the great news camp because I suspect there will be tensions around uh, for quite some time to come. Um, but uh, a significant focus of markets under the Trump administration was on on the tensions between the U.S. and China. Um, of course, those tensions don't disappear uh, with Biden, lead, with with President Trump leading the White House uh, and Biden in his place. Uh, what? How do you see those tensions evolving uh, over the next few years, uh, or or even longer? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Rupert. Um, you know, we don't see those tensions easing. Um, the Biden administration has really said very little about what they'll do, except that they will seek to work with China on issues like climate change. Um, we do expect continued pressure to restrict certain Chinese initiatives, such as advances on Taiwan, given the view that China is a national security threat, as well as issues around intellectual property threat uh, theft. You know, we anticipate the administration to pressure China on human rights issues as well. And I would say that Biden's put together a very interesting team um, on China um, to work on each of these issues separately. And it's a very experienced team. So, you know, human rights, intellectual property, national security issues. Um, it will it will be um, interesting to watch to see progress on these various issues and whether or not um, the administration backs down on certain issues like human rights in order to make progress on climate change. Hopefully not, but um, there will have to definitely be some give and take. Yes, I think um, it's, I think that the, the sort of China-U.S. tensions will be will be around for decades. It will be something that we will all be dealing with for good or ill um, for, for 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 decades to come. Um, yep, yep. And what do you think? Do you think there are any particular implications for for U.S. equities or, or Chinese equities? Um, do recent developments make you any more or less optimistic? 
Yeah. So I, I think when you um, look at the whole, you know, the political situation and even, even sometimes um, how economies fare and generally, you need to somewhat separate that from how you view the markets. So in terms of the Chinese equity market, we believe it should perform relatively well, in particular, the A-shares market. Um, A-shares uh, are generally are gradually being added into the broader indices. That market is really dominated by Chinese retail investors. And so to us, appears much less efficient than the U.S. equity market. So really some, real, some good opportunity to add value through active management, but selecting the right investment manager is key. Um, the U.S. and then the Chinese equity market, <clears throat> somewhat like the U.S. equity market, you really need to kind of pull it apart to see which areas are <clears throat> overvalued and which areas are undervalued. So some of the Chinese equity market looks much less, much more expensive relative to let's say the A shares, which looks um, reasonably priced. Um, and I would say that the same thing is true in the U.S. If you look at U.S. large cap, really looks expensive. Relative to history, uh, small cap looks more attractive. And then U.S. relative to, let's say, China or Europe um, or even Japan looks expensive um, on, on a relative basis. Um, the one thing that the U.S. has going for it is just based on profitability and earnings <clears throat> is so much better than what we see in um, the developed international markets and even to some extent in the Chinese equity market. Um, Rupert, we've spoken a lot about the U.S. and a bit about China. Oh, what's going on in the U.K. with um, Brexit, Brexit and how will that affect the markets there? Did you say breakfast there? <laughs> I meant to just say Brexit. Sorry, what's going let me start on that breakfast? one over. Let me start that one over. I'm having a full English breakfast. Um, <laughs> Um, so in terms of Brexit, um, as you say, there is there is plenty going on. Uh, so the UK left the EU at the end of January 2020 and entered the transition period. Uh, in the transition period, the economic relationship between the UK and the EU remained unchanged, although the political one changed. The transition period ended at the end of last year, and the new trade relation kicked in at the start of this. Uh, and we've already started to see the problems that is caused for some businesses, because while it largely, but not completely, uh, ensures tariff-free trade between the UK and the EU, there are a host of non-tariff barriers uh, that are making it difficult and costly uh, for many businesses um, to, uh, to do business. And there are a whole lot, a whole range of still unanswered questions, particularly around the service sector. Uh, it seems likely overall that Brexit will lead to permanently lower UK GDP uh, and with a little bit of a heck, uh, an effect on the EU side as well. But because the UK is so much smaller than the EU, in percentage terms, as a percentage of the economy, it's much more significant and damaging for, for, for the UK. Uh, some of that effect, some of that dampening effect on UK economic activity has already happened, uh, with some of the rest happening as we speak in the first quarter and the early part of 2021. But I think it will be swamped in the economic data um, by what we see on the COVID front. And when we get the when the economy starts to reopen uh, and people start spending, as you as you noted earlier, uh, I think that still means the UK economy will grow pretty strongly um, at this time of this uh, uh, this year. Now, I would ask you, well, I will ask you, uh, well, how do Americans see Brexit? 
Um, and if the answer is, uh, we're a very small country, so most people don't think about it, um, please answer differently, because that would be a bit, uh, uh, wouldn't be uplifting. <laughs> Um, I would say, you know, if you talk about the general American public, I don't think they think about it because they don't think they think usually beyond our borders. Uh, but I would say that investors um, and economists are watching it very closely. Um, it, you know, it has a lot of implications when you think about, um, you, you go back and just think about COVID and um, supply line disruptions and reshoring. Um, I think we'll be watching your experience, the UK's experience very closely um, to see what impact it does have on the economy. So I do think it matters to investors, CEOs, um, and uh, economists. Now, Susan, I'm going to ask you a few brief questions, um, which you can answer in whatever form you wish. The first question is Bitcoin up or down? So uh, in, in terms of Bitcoin, um, near term, probably continue to go up um, just because of the momentum in the market, Tesla's recent purchase of, of, of Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, Bitcoin is a very difficult um, thing to value. It's got no earnings. It doesn't have any dividend yield. So um, it, it, it feels a bit um, like uh, the tulip bulb mania, um, dot-com bubble, um, that longer term it may actually come down in value. Okay, next question. Uh, at the next presidential election in the US, will President Trump or his member of his family stand um, for uh, 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 stand in one of the in, in for one of the major parties? So, my personal opinion, no. Trump left office with the lowest approval rating ever, twenty nine percent. In addition to being impeached twice and approval, I mean, more. Yeah, his approval. Ratings are continuing to deteriorate from there. So, no. And US bond yields over the next 10 years, will they get back to the sort of 5% level? Uh, in fact, how about 20 years? Over the next 20 years, uh, do you think they'll get back to the sorts of 5% levels we saw uh, certainly at the start of my career? Um, so, I'm assuming uh, like on the 10 year treasury, um, I would say that. Over the next 20 years, interest rates will certainly rise as the economy recovers from COVID, um, some of the fiscal, a lot of the fiscal stimulus measures that are likely to be put in place over the next four years after that, who knows. Um, but uh, will they rise up to that 5% level? It's really hard to say just because, um, you know, we've got demographic headwinds as well. So. That, yeah. that'll put as well as technology, you know, in terms of inflation that will help keep that down. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay. Well, Susan, I'm going to sort of bring this to a close and I'm, I'll, I'll just end this by just summarizing our house view on what we think is going on with the global, what will happen to the global economy this year and what it means for markets. In terms of economies, we think uh, economic growth this year will be very strong. Uh, driven by a sharp pickup in consumption in the US, in Europe, and some other parts of the world as the lockdowns restrictions ease uh, over the next several months as the vaccine gets rolled out. Uh, with parts of Asia continuing to do well, we think that means strong economic growth this year uh, and still economic, strong economic growth into next year. Uh, we think inflation will pick up a bit this year, um, firstly because the year-on-year 
uh, uh, change in the price of things like uh, airfares and hotels, uh, as well as gasoline, um, uh, will become will will be quite notable by the middle of this year. But also, it's possible that the surge in economic activity uh, will lead to some supply constraints in some places. But even if there is a pickup in inflation, we would expect monetary policy to remain extraordinarily supportive for quite some time, and fiscal policy as well. In terms of what it means for financial markets, uh, the pickup in economic activity and still loose policy is very supportive for risk assets. And we think that will push equity markets uh, and things like high yield uh, somewhat higher. We are beginning to become a little bit more wary about U.S. equities uh, and indeed some other risk assets, uh, given valuations, uh, which are definitely moving into uh, expensive territory. And at some point, and in particular, if there was a more material pickup in inflation and or a pickup in bond yields, uh, then we would start to get somewhat more worried um, about the riskier assets. But we think 2021 as a whole uh, should, be, uh, should be a good year. And I think the biggest risk to markets uh, is around the vaccine and its rollout. Uh, I'm assuming uh, that the vaccine rollout goes reasonably smoothly. Uh, I can't tell you when economies will open up, but I'm assuming that things will look much more normal by the middle of the year in many economies. Um, but of course, I'm not an epidemiologist um, and will be watching variants and so on very closely. So I'll bring that to a close. If you have any questions, please contact Susan or myself uh, or any of your usual Mercer contacts. And I hope you'll be able to join us uh, in a month's time. This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal, tax, or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular, personal, and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Please refer to Mercer's full legal disclaimer in the episode description. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to Critical Thinking, Critical Issues on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please leave us a review or topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Many thanks. Thanks.